Welcome to the Lady Preacher Podcast, a podcast for the progressive Christian, where we talk about an all-loving God, an embodied Christ, and an ever-moving spirit. Dive right in as we wrestle with what it means to live out our faith in the world. Hello, my friend. Welcome to the Lady Preacher podcast. I'm really grateful that you are here today. Before we dive in and I I introduce my guest, I want to be sure that you are following along at dancingpastor.org. For all the different things we have going on, we're going to have some stuff coming up this spring 2021 for opportunities to connect. So I encourage you to check out our website, look for all the things that might be coming up. If you would like to sign up for a weekly devotional email, All the information will be there as well. And you can, of course, follow me on social media at Pastor Kelsey B. I really, I I am so grateful for all of you being a part of this community. And I hope that there will be some great ways this spring for us to connect. We're going to have some evenings of journaling and prayer reflection. There will be some opportunities for yoga, especially chair yoga. So please check that out. I would love for you to join us. All right, my friends, it is such a gift and a privilege to introduce you to Ellie Rocher. She is the author of 12 Tiny Things, as well as the books Play Like a Girl and How Coffee Saved My Life. Today in particular, we are talking about 12 Tiny Things. It is such an incredible book that just offers folks this opportunity to just dig a little deeper into who they are and find these little tiny, tiny, tiny practices that help us feel just a little bit more alive. And I'm, I'm going to let Ellie explain more about that. She is a writer, of course. She hosts the Unlikely Conversations podcast. She is a yoga teacher. She teaches writing at the Loft Literary Center and the Minnesota Writing Project. She is really passionate about curiosity and committed to artistic collaboration. She is all about helping people feel more centered and more whole and live into just their embodied self. And y'all know I'm really all about that kind of work. She has an MFA in writing from Sarah Lawrence College and an MA in theology from Luther Seminary. She is just, she's brilliant and amazing and is such a contagious spirit. I don't know if you can hear it, but I'm smiling as I'm talking because I just finished up my conversation with her and it brought me so, so much joy. And I hope it does the same for you. I will, of course, link to all the places you can find Ellie online at Ellie Rocher and ellierocher.com. Those will all be in the show notes. I really encourage you to check out her things and I'll, of course, put the links to her books as well. And I encourage you to read them and dive in, especially to her new book, 12 Tiny Things. All right, my friends, it is a joy to introduce you to my new friend and wonderful colleague, Ellie Rocher. Hi, Ellie. Hi, how are you? I am well. I mean, you know, as well as can be expected in a pandemic, but I'm happy to be here with you. How are you doing? Same. I'm so well. I'm so happy to be here. 
taking it one day at a time. Yes. <laughs> well, that's kind of your method, right? The 12 that's times right. one thing at that's a time. Right. Well, before I ask you to intro yourself or dive into any more questions, could you please offer a centering for us? Yes, I would love to. Thank you for asking. This will be actually one of the tiny things. Um, I'll, I'm going to lead us all through just taking three conscious breaths on purpose. So just three breaths where you're aware that you're breathing. So to get us set up, um, take a look at your surroundings, look at the walls um, around you. This helps us get into the here and now really see you might be in a very familiar place. Um, but really look and see, look at the ceiling and the floor as well. Kind of get situated in where your body is located in the present moment and then shift your body weight around, um, on your chair, if you're sitting, um, and try to find your center of gravity where you can distribute your weight evenly press down through both of your sits bones. Notice the connection that your body has with your chair. Notice the connection that your feet have with the ground. Stack your shoulders over your hips. Pick your shoulders up towards your ears and roll them back down your back. Place your shoulder blades on your back just a bit. Tuck your chin back toward your throat an inch. Reach the crown of your head up toward your ceiling. And breathe with me. Inhale. Exhale. Notice where the breath comes in on your inhale. Notice where it leaves on your exhale. On your inhale, reach the crown of your head toward your ceiling. On your exhale, ground down. And when you reach the bottom of your exhale, blink your eyes back open and come on back. Mm. Thank you so much. Thank you. It helped me too. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, with that, can you just share with us a little bit about yourself, who you are? What's the work and ministry you do in the world? Absolutely. I am located in South Minneapolis in Minnesota. Um, I refer to myself as a practical theologian. So I taught theology at a Catholic high school for about five years. And then more recently, I taught theology at an ELCA Lutheran congregation, Bethlehem Lutheran Church in Minneapolis. And um, because of COVID, actually, um, because of preschools shutting down and my kindergartner being full-time online learning, um, I recently resigned from that job and am now, you know, just working with churches kind of on a adjunct freelance basis. And I'm also a writer. Um, I teach yoga in Minneapolis at Up Yoga. I teach writing at the Loft Literary Center. And I'm currently teaching a really interesting, powerful course on whiteness and anti-racism, co-teaching that through the Minnesota Writing Project. Like I said, I'm the mom of two. I have two kids who are four and six. Um, and I'm a partner of my spouse, Dan. Those are um, some of my occupations. I'm a generalist who kind of likes to do 18 different things at once. So. I love that. <laughs> I can relate to that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's amazing. That's amazing. So I want to dive in into 12 Tiny Things. Uh, this book that you wrote that I know it's more than a book. So I would love for you to share how did 12 Tiny Things come about? What is it? How has it kind of taken on a life of its own? I like to say at first that I was raised privileged in which I, 
I did not have to worry about money. Um, and so my dad, you know, kind of provided more for us than his dad did. Um, and he had provided more for my dad than his dad had. And I say this because I'm the second of five kids and all five of us have had this conversation where the American dream is more and more and more. And that usually means more money, more opportunities. And because we were given everything we could possibly dream of, the five of us asked different questions about what more means for for the five of us and for our children. It wasn't going to mean more money. My dad was a dentist um, and he just recently retired. He was, I think, kind of hoping one of us would take over the practice and none of us did. Um, none of us make quite as much money as he did. So we're <laughs> all, um, be, because we're we are in a privileged place where we can be critical and make really intentional decisions, we we're asking the question, well, what is what does more mean for, for me? Um, so that's a question I've been asking for decades now. And a while back, I found a group of women who are asking the same questions. So we started a project called Enough. And all of us were asking in different ways, what is enough? And we were using the Swedish term legom for enough. So what is just the right amount? So trying to come at that question, not from deprivation, but from abundance. Um, I think about when I lived in New York City, the right amount of cars to have was zero. Yes. And then when I moved to Minneapolis, just the right amount of cars to have was one. And you know, so constantly be asking that question is, what is just the right amount for the moment, the context that I'm living in? And I really, really enjoyed that project. It was super organic and it, it morphed into this project of 12 Tiny Things. So Heidi Barr, my co-author and I, were the two writers in this group of enough women. And um, we were both hearing the same things from the folks we were working with. Heidi Barr is a wellness coach and she was hearing from her clients. It was 2016, big year for our country. Yes. Um, she was hearing from her clients over and over again, how overwhelmed they felt almost to the point of feeling paralyzed, not knowing how to re-engage with their life, how to live their life on purpose, how to get back involved in their community and being, and feel like they're making a difference in the world. I was hearing the exact same thing from my teenagers and young adults at the church that I was working at, feeling overwhelmed, feeling paralyzed, feeling like life was happening to them. Um, and so Heidi and I weren't feeling these things. And we started asking questions about why. And we realized we both, without having a name for it yet, practiced these tiny things where there were just certain tiny practices that we did every day to stay rooted so that we were living out of our sense of core. And we were making some similar decisions on purpose to not be overwhelmed. Because I think that is kind of the default now in our age of smartphones and knowing everything that is happening in the world all of the time, the moment that it is happening, that's overwhelming, right? And so we started this group, 12 Tiny Things, to practice as practitioners. We were practicing it and inviting other people into it. It started as a Facebook group and it immediately took off and became global. And we realized, oh, we're onto something yeah. here. And so for three years, the Facebook group has chosen a theme every month and we just focus on that theme and people um, either kind of passively just have things in their feed as gentle reminders, or some people are very active and post articles and quotes and challenges. And we try to do one tiny thing a month. That 
was so fulfilling for Heidi and I that we decided to write a book about it. And that became 12 Tiny Things. It has 12 chapters with 12 themes. One way that folks are reading it in 2021 is they're taking a chapter a month and reading it very slowly and trying one tiny thing per month. So the Facebook group continues. Um, The book is a really nice artifact of that movement. And we've built out our website in hopes that it's full of resources that folks can use if they're interested in trying to practice tiny things to be able to build a simpler, more intentional life. Wow. That's amazing. And I love how organic it all came together. And I think that's, like you said, that's when you know you're onto something like this is a real need in the world. That's right. You know, and I, what the, it was so funny in those first three years, every once in a while I would slip into facil- facilitator mode, you know, of like I am facilitating this big Facebook group like that. This is my job. And I would be sloughing on my tiny things and every time it would catch up to me and um, that Heidi and I say, that's the nice thing about tiny things is if you put it down, it's very easy to pick back up again, just try again the next day. And every time I practice my tiny thing, I feel better. My body feels better. I feel like I'm living my life on purpose. It's not a silver bullet. So we try to offer a lot of different things, depending on how you're wired. Um, our, our website has a 30 day calendar. So if you want to try a different tiny thing every day, you know, you have, you have 30 options, one per day. Um, we, we wrote a church study guide so churches can engage in the themes with Bible stories. There are also meditations and small group guides. We think it's going to be a really fun book to read in a group of people. Um, and so if you're interested in that, there are discussion questions and ways that you can gather with folks. That's amazing. Can you get like concretize, like what is an example of a tiny thing that people could do? Yeah, thanks. Okay, so our first chapter is on space. Um, We think that's a really good place to start um, because so many folks we were hearing about overwhelm was this holistic sense of clutter, right? And, and, And that being unchecked societal pressure for more, 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 more stuff, more work. So what would it look like to create space in our lives on purpose? Um, So we spend a month doing that and asking what is an area of our life that we want more space after naming that area. So you're not trying to address everything at once, right? Um, The tiny invitation is to say no to something. So if you're trying to create more space in your closet, maybe you say no to 10 items that are sitting there that you haven't worn in a year that don't bring you joy and you donate them to someone who would appreciate them. For me, my focus is my calendar. I overfill my calendar. And so my no is getting a a calendar invite that I know is not going to serve me. And I'm just saying yes to be nice. And because that's my default is to say yes. My tiny thing is to say no to that. And Saying no is a two-letter word, but it's enormous for me. And when I say no, then that creates space on my calendar that I can either just hold and let it unfold naturally, or I can fill it with what I want to be filling my time with because we deeply believe how you spend your day is how you spend your life. So your calendar is a moral document that we need to be able to take seriously. And sometimes when we're feeling overwhelmed, We can't claim that. We can't claim that our day is ours and we actually can spend it how we want to spend it. That takes a ton.
ton of courage. Yes. So what's going on behind the space chapter? The invitation is actually an invitation to enough. So in order to create space, Heidi and I have a hunch that we have to explore the lies that we've we've gathered by accident about what it means to be more. So I believe by doing more, I am more, that my worth goes up the busier that I am. That is a lie that I have held on to by accident. If I can name it and let go of it, then I can say no to a calendar invite sit in the space that's created by that no and be brave enough to believe I have worth just sitting there, mm, <laughs> just being yes. a human being and really having that t- that one tiny no is getting into my root system saying you are enough. You were created beautiful and good in your sitting still. And if you can believe that, then saying no the next time is going to be that much easier. And before you know it, a couple of no's add up and you've created a lot of space in that space is incredible potential and power to live your life on purpose and to simplify for me to simplify my calendar actually brings me more joy. But it's for me, it's an uphill battle. And it is to me, it is countercultural that I can do less and have worth as a human. And that's, that's why I believe in this project so much is it's one tiny thing that is so elemental. Everything you have, you already have inside of you. Um, but activating that one tiny thing will, will the second tiny thing will emerge from it. Mm, that's amazing. And I think too, you know, I, so I attended your book launch and I, have been digging into space for this month as the first month. And what I decided to do is set a time limit for email. So like as a pastor, especially in a pandemic, so much of my work is over email and it was like overwhelming. I'm like answering emails at 11 PM on a Thursday and like my day offs are Friday and Saturday and I'm checking email Saturday morning. And I was like, this is too much too much. And I saw someone post something on Instagram that was like somebody's email signature that was like, I may take a few days to answer this. And that is completely normal. And I was like, whoa. (laughs) And so that with like your book about creating space, I was like, I'm going to say no to email. And so on my email signature, it says, I will regularly check my email from this time to this time, Monday through Thursday. And it has been so life-giving and like, it hasn't affected my church folks. Like they're fine with it, whatever. It's been protecting me and my space, like setting a boundary for myself of like, no, I'm, I'm not going to check this email when it comes in at 7am on Saturday. Yes. Okay. I love that so much. And we, I just had that feeling inside of me when we first started the group, like this is the magic of tiny things because you telling me that story gets me so excited and makes me think about my email boundaries. And when you put, when you're brave enough to put that signature on, you're inviting all the people who email you to consider it as well. And so this is work It is extremely personal work. It's so fun to do in community because you steal other people's tiny things that work for you too. And email, I have found the faster you reply, the faster they come in. Yes. You know, like your response time is setting the vicious cycle, right? And if I am brave enough just to hit pause, 
you're not saying no, you're just saying not yet. Yes. <laughs> right? <laughs> it, ch- it totally changes the pacing of your whole communication pattern. And I think especially in COVID, to have those little tricks that set boundaries between our work life and our home life, which have somehow become the same yes. thing <laughs> right now, that is just a gold nugget. I am so excited for you that you're doing that. Thank you. Well, and I I think what you touched on too is so important that like me setting that boundary, it makes me think of when Brene Brown says boundaries make us more loving. Like I have so much of a deeper love for myself setting that boundary, but also for my church folks, because then I'm not resenting them for emailing me on Saturday morning. That's when they can email. That's my choice to email you know, when I'm working. <laughs> so Gosh, yeah, yes. it's such a gift. And it, it for me, I'm going to ask you later about how all of this connects to our faith, but just riffing here on how saying no to those things, give me more space to do things that are prayerful, that allow me time and space for myself and with God and community. It's such a gift. It is such a gift. I love that. And you know, now that I'm thinking of it, it was my, it's my Jewish colleagues that first taught me this of just having the notification on during Sabbath. Mm. And Friday is an email day for a bunch of folks, but you know, a lot of my Jewish colleagues don't do email on, on Sabbath and hold that so much more courageously than I do. Um, and And I, yeah, I think that it shows love to your parishioners. Absolutely. By saying, I'm going to answer this when I'm rested and well, I have never regretted doing, setting a slower pace, Mm, (laughs) but I have regretted going too fast. And that specifically is answering emails. It's like, if I had just waited a day (laughs) to respond (laughs) to that email, everything would have gone better. Right. And so it is, it's, um, the mantra for the space chapter is saying no to one thing is saying yes to another. And I think you have perfectly modeled how, what originally feels like a no is actually an abundant. Yes. Mm. Once we are brave enough to break the, our old cycle, and try a new cycle. And just like you said, just take one tiny step. I'm so fascinated to hear at the end of the month, if a second tiny step will emerge for you in the same, in the same vein. That's so great. Yeah. Well, you know, I I appreciate that the way you move into this uh, work is that it's it's not about self-help, right? right? It's it's much more than that. And I'm I'm curious if you can speak to that more. I know this is a really important thing for you to distinguish. Yes, thank you. Um, my, yeah, my, as I said, my co-author Heidi Barr is a wellness coach, and so she is. We're both very sensitive to toxic positivity and um, to saying, you know, you you need to change, you need to grow. Here's the tool. (laughs) And that is not what 12 tiny things is at all. We, in the book, we use a tree metaphor throughout the book. So the work is growing our root system. So the visual of an Aspen Grove, if we deepen our roots underneath the ground where we can't see, that's where the roots connect to the other trees. Like that's where we connect. And I think that our society treats us as consumers and as capitalists 
um, before treating us as human beings. And so the drive is out in the branches, reach, 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 extend outside of you more, 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 um, when, and Heidi and I deeply believe, as I already said, everything you need is already inside of you. You don't need to reach. You don't need to strive. You don't need more. This is the work of deepening what's already there, getting to your core and growing down, setting your roots, and then living from that core, from that strong root system so that we can bend without breaking. Um, so we're going to grow inward instead of more work, more money, more stuff. Um, we're going to dwell in ourselves. Um, and it's about coming back every tiny thing for me. I can tell it's one of my tiny things. Not everyone's going to work for you. Right. But the ones that click are the ones where I'm doing it. I, I literally can feel my, my body like pulling into center. Um, pulling into my root system, my core, and then I'm living from a place of more strength instead of being expanded. So when you were talking about email boundaries, I immediately had a visual of you pulling back to your core, not being overextended and spread too thin. Um, living, living from a place of you are enough. You are created good. You can be a co-creator in this wonderful life. And we're very, very clear. This is not the silver bullet. There's not one thing, one method, one book where you're going to pick it up and be happy. This is rigorous work. When we first were pitching it to people, they're like, it's not big enough. We don't get it. And once you really engage with it, it's, you start to see the enormity of it right away. It's a tiny move, but if it's at your core system, there are shifts being made. It's, this is a companion piece to the rest of your life. Um, and it is, it's a way of being and Heidi and I don't say do this right? We, we invite you into some things. We give you some things to try. There's an appendix of tiny things of what we offer. You don't like, um, and everything is to co-travel with us that we're on this journey too. And we haven't figured it out yet, but we do think moving inward and pressing pause and trying to be a little bit more intentional, a little bit slower, a little bit more simple um, can bring a lot of joy. And so to me, the process is about lowercase r resurrections like little glimpses of new life where you shift something tiny, like your email notification, and you immediately feel it more power as you take that next step forward. Um, so I liken it to New Year's resolutions, um, which I don't like. I tend to make really big ones. It tends to be about something that I don't think is enough uh, in me. So it's self-critical. And I burn out and then I go into a shame cycle. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So we're, yeah. we're conversely to that. And that to me speaks self-help. This is saying you're perfectly imperfect right now, right here. Celebrate who you already are at your core. Grow the things that are inside of you that, that you want to pay attention to. They're already there and paying attention to them will help them grow and just shine out so that you're living your life um, on purpose. And it feels like joy. It feels like renewal. It feels like new life, but it's coming from inside of you instead of grasping at something outside of you and pulling you back in, if that makes sense. 
Yeah. Yeah. To me, it's like you're putting on your own soul instead of reaching out and being like, I want that and that and that and that and like trying to fit yourself into clothes that don't actually fit you well or complement you. That's exactly right. And that's that's verbatim in our style chapter (laughs) is that that everybody has a style. Um, and, and this, you see this with older folks who finally just get comfortable in their own skin and in their own energy, instead of trying to manipulate themselves to be someone else, they just settle in and they shine. There's like just this inner outer alignment and there's an ease involved in that where a lot of folks will say, I'm not stylish. I'm not stylish. It's like, well, no, maybe you just haven't taken the time to like try try to align and live out of a sense of who you actually are. So like you said, your soul kind of remove the barriers. So your soul can shine brighter. A tiny example tonight, I am teaching a yoga class. I'm subbing for one of the most beloved teachers in the studio. And I'm a fairly new teacher. And I paused in saying that I would sub for him because it was him. And I, I had to give myself a little pep talk of like, you can't try to teach his class and you can't try to be him just because you think people are going to expect to show up and get him. You have to teach your class. Like people are going to show up to get you and you at your best is so much better than you trying to be somebody else. Right. So I had to get into my core. I could feel that I was reaching, get back into my core and do me for better or worse, perfectly imperfect, um, that's going to go better for me. And I think what you're saying touches on that notion that you can be the sweetest peach in all of Georgia and there's still going to be someone who doesn't like peaches. And I think that's such a, a, a huge lesson. So for me, I don't know if you're familiar with Enneagram, but I'm an Enneagram too. Like everything I do, I'm like, I want to be loved yes. and cared for. <laughs> like, me too. I, I want people to like me. And That was a huge lesson for me to learn. I'm a yoga teacher too. And I had to learn Oh, like, yeah, my class isn't for everyone and that's okay. And that's what makes it powerful, right? Like, because we're living into who God created us to be. Amen. Yes. And if you're trying to please everyone, you won't please anyone. Mm. Right. And writers get tripped up with this as well. We try to copy the masters and it comes off as fake, you know? And it's so just to find your words, to find your voice, to find your note in the universe and be at peace with who you are and and let folks react how they're going to react. That's to me living out of your core, right? Yeah, yeah. And other it, people's it, opinions don't quite matter as much. Yes, <laughs> and it, that has to do with them and it doesn't have to do with you, you know? Like that, that's been a big lesson for me too is... Okay. That's their stuff. Yes. And this is my stuff. And also owning what is mine, right? Like I was, I have a life coach who's great. And I was just talking to her today about, you know, this person's posting this stuff. That's all really great. And it was all centered around body positivity and like, you don't need to work out to be worthy and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, but I, I like working out. Like I like moving my body and I'm starting to feel shame about that. Mm. And she was like, but you are a mover. Like this is, that's what you love. And I was like, yes. oh, yeah, right. <laughs> like that's my stuff. That's her stuff. Like we can separate those things and it can still be good because, you know, God created all the colors of the rainbow and everything in between. And we can each be our own. Mm. 
Well, that's where those personality tests, I think are so helpful. We are wired differently. And I, and that goes for multiple intelligences as well. My highest intelligence is kinesthetic. So that means my body's smart and that I do my best thinking when my body's moving. So when I am exercising, it's not to lose weight. It is a mental health, physical health, spiritual health, and an intellectual health issue for me. And that's where, that's where 12 Tiny Things is trying to help us identify the core of what's really going on with this. And I do think what you said is a perfect example of why this is working for folks in the age of social media is we're, we're constantly bombarded with information that can overwhelm us and paralyze us. And when you say that's your work. I'm going to do my work. If I know what my tiny things are and which ones kind of get me moving again, when I catch myself doing that, reacting to somebody on social media and losing my flow, my tiny thing, it it takes five seconds and it can get me back to my core and moving out of my center again so that I don't spend as much time kind of deer eyed on the couch. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I love that. I love that. So, okay. Can you break down for us? What are the 12 areas in the book? And then maybe share, um, what was it about some of these areas that made you want to address them, um, and give people the space to explore these ideas? Yes. So I already said the first one is space and that came fairly quickly to us um, that especially for women, there's a tie between clutter and depression and there's all sorts of clutter. And what we're hearing, one of the things we're hearing loud and clear from the folks we're talking to about paralyzed overwhelm is lack of space. You know, you need space to be able to build intentionality from there. And so we knew that that was going to be our beginning. Then we decided that we wanted chapters that were about the horribly mundane and ordinary, the things that we all are going to have in our lives. So there's a chapter on work, which side note, I love that there's only one of the 12 chapters on work. (laughs) It's definitely a book about holistic vocation and that we're called to so many things um, in addition to what we get paid to do. Um, There's food, home. So some of these things that can kind of get a little bit rote if we're not being mindful about them. And we wanted to bring in tiny things that would up the sense of the holy in the ordinary, right? That I think part of the more is, you know, mountaintops and like we can get stuck in the rote routines where like that's, to me, that's where the good stuff is, right? So let's, let's be present to our work life and bring our, our, our whole selves to work. Like, what does that mean? How do you stay present to food and where you get your food and how you prepare it and using your five senses to enjoy it? I mean, think about, I am, I am famous for eating, standing up and like eating and not tasting, you know, having it be (laughs) a functional thing instead of a, a pleasurable part of our lives. Um, you know, some people get so overwhelmed by their house and the work and the routine and the cleaning. So how can you, how can we bring a sense of holy to those very, very ordinary things? Those are, that's one of our decisions at the very beginning. 
But that's not it, right? There's also those things where we get so overwhelmed that we stop unfolding and growing. So there's also chapters on sensuality, that what you want matters, um, creativity. And again, similar to style, folks will be like, I'm not creative. Well, yes, we all are. So maybe we just haven't created the space to be creative in a while, or we've shut that part of us down. So how do we reinvigorate that learning? And then I also, I think the last chapter was very much on purpose. Um, we put the community chapter. So as I previously said, I think it's easy to think of this as an individual work and it is, it's highly personal. It's very vulnerable. Um, but we never wrote it thinking it should stop in your body. It can start in your body. That's a good place to start. But um, as I said, the second step will emerge. It's very important to Heidi and I that the trajectory of this is that we get unparalyzed, unstuck off the couch into our communities in really, really new and exciting ways. And so how do we reinvigorate our relationships in our communities, in our found family, in our groups, um, in new ways as well? So that part was very much on purpose. Um, there's a spirituality chapter, nature, communication. Um, and I think I mentioned all the other ones. So yeah, yeah. Those, that's the lineup. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love that. I'm curious. I didn't prep you with this question, but was there one of the areas of the 12 tiny things that was particularly sticky for you? Mm, that is a great question. I will say, I will, I will answer with two. Um, one was the spirituality chapter because to me, this whole book is a spiritual book. So that could have been a thread that was woven throughout. And as a theologian, as a Christian, I decided to not put any explicitly Christian language in the spirituality chapter so that it could be open to more with my young adults and teenagers in mind who sometimes get tripped up with some of the semantics who are seeing themselves as spiritual people, a little bit skeptical of organized religion, not sure what I mean when I say certain terms. So that's why I did the 12-week church study guide is because for me, this is deeply theological and very Christian, but I did want the book to be open to folks who aren't. And it was extremely challenging as someone who identifies as a spiritual being and is a professional theologian to write one chapter called spirituality. <laughs> that was, that was like, what, what are, what's the one thing I want to say about this? Uh, and so the spirituality chapter is around attention and what we're paying attention to and how, how, what we pay attention to has something to do with devotion. And I'm really passionate about this right now. Um, I just watched the social dilemma about social media and um, and how those those feeds are designed to capture and hold your attention and how we are humans who can make critical decisions about that and choose to place our attention on our child or on the sky or, you know, or, or fill in the blank. And that, and that choice of where we place our attention has something to do with devotion, has something to do with us as spiritual creatures. 
So that was one challenge. And then another was the sensuality chapter. Heidi gave me that topic very quickly. (laughs) She said, you take that one, you take the lead on it. I think our society says loud and clear that our bodies don't matter. Pleasure doesn't matter. Desire doesn't matter. Enneagram twos, right? Put other people's needs and wants before our own. And so I knew I needed to write the chapter. I had a really good time writing it. It's about letting your desire take up space in the world. So letting your body want what it wants. And the tiny thing is first thing in the morning, insert just five seconds to ask your body what it actually wants to drink first. And Heidi has the, as soon as I said that, I was like, I have a perfect example. So Heidi would just drink coffee every morning without thinking about it. Just go, go through the motions. And when she tried that, she realized her body wanted water first. She still asks herself every morning, but almost every morning she wants a tepid glass of water first, and then she moves on to coffee. And so starting your day with that of my desire matters, what my body wants matters, quieting my voice enough that I can hear my body speaking to me and then have a relationship with my body by giving it what it wants. So I've been thinking a lot about the difference between what I want and what I really want. And so, right. So, so, if I'm, if I'm living on the surface and I'm not being very mindful and I'm not being very intentional that day for whatever reason, I'm going to think that I want chocolate chip cookies and grab them and say, this is what I want and that's okay. But if you pause, if you place that pause and really, really in touch with your body, your body is so, 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 so smart. Usually I, I actually want chickpeas right? Or, or spinach, like things that are like, as soon as you eat them, your whole body's like, oh, that is nourishment. Um, so not being quick in my desire, but really taking time to think about pleasure and desire and value it by giving it some time, not a ton, but a little bit, right? Um, the reason I bring that up is a, is a um, tricky chapter was my first draft I did not talk about sex. And my editor brought that up. Um, She said, you know, do you want to mention sexual pleasure in the chapter about sensuality? (laughs) And it's so funny to me because that's one of the things I love to teach with teenagers. I love doing, I love teaching about sex, sexuality, and gender. Um, But somehow in this adult book, I wrote a whole chapter on sensuality without addressing it. And so I, that is now in there. And I said, yes, you are right. And that story is noteworthy that it's, even though I'm comfortable with my body and my sexuality, it wasn't an instinct to include it in a book. How little we talk about this. So as I'm doing book talks, folks are wanting to talk about the sensuality chapter and talk about all sorts of different kinds of pleasure and desire. And I think women in particular to allow us to take up some space with what, what we want and having things have value just because they're pleasurable, um, is really exciting to me. So that was a growing edge for me as a writer, which in a good way. Yeah. I love that. I love that. I just had an experience this past weekend. I was leading, um, a, 
a chair yoga session for a church's women's retreat on Zoom. And that was followed by a woman, um, Pastor Amy Johnson. And she did a whole session on bodies and rest and pleasure. And it was amazing. And at one point she asked all the women on the call, there were probably 30 of us. And um, she said, what about your bodies is a blessing? Like what gift do they give you? What gifts do your, does your body give you? And people are naming all these things like care for each other, ability to eat delicious food. And in my head, I kept wanting to say great sex. Like <laughs> we can say these things at church, but I didn't say it. I didn't say it. Cause I was like, I don't want to scandalize these older <laughs> women, even though I'm sure they're thinking it too. But yeah, it's amazing how much like, yeah, even though that's a thing I'm comfortable talking about or saying how much we tend to avoid it. And I think you know, especially as women, we're, we're told that sensuality so often is bad or sinful or not good, but like it is like God created all parts of our bodies, you know, and, and I think that's important to name. And I love that your editor invited you to that. That's amazing. Me too. Me too. I'm so glad it made the chapter better mm. for sure. And that's the cool thing about being a writer is now I get to talk about it and hear that people are hungry to talk about it um, more. We have so much residue in the church with mind-body dualism and the purpose of sex. And again, it's, it's like, that is not about me. <laughs> you know, so much of that is about the culture and um, the church fathers and, you know, our, I really feel like part of our work for the kind of this generation, especially as white folks is to more fully integrate into our bodies and, and to stop severing ourselves at the neck and saying our mind is pure and our body is dirty. And, and, and so, yeah, I'm, I have a lot of affection for the fact that the sensuality chapter is in there and that we get to talk about it. I think it's important. Yeah. Well, and I want to touch on something too, with this, because you were saying like that difference between like the quick choice, what we think we want and what we really want. And I, I feel like this touches too on addiction. Like when we get quiet and listen to our bodies, that quick thing could be what that addiction is, but there is a deeper want there. Yes. Yes. The, as a numbing coping skill, right. Can we be brave enough to get underneath to the root system and explore at that level? Um, it, this is the tiny thing is tiny in the fact that it's should be offensively small in how much time it takes you to do. So you can do it every day, but it's a tiny thing that hopefully gets at your root system and asks the right questions about what's driving on the surface and then what's underneath the surface. Yeah. And I think a lot of our addictions are in those moments when we aren't critical of what's or, or aware of what's going on underneath the surface. And, and it's tied to this feeling of overwhelm. Right. And I think that's also tied to our social media feeds and who's trying to get our attention and what messages we're getting about how, we aren't enough and the trauma that, that we go through, it is, it is a, of a, a numbing, wanting to numb ourselves is a very valid response. And this book is inviting us to be awake to our lives and be paying attention 
and be mindful that choice is ours to opt in every single moment. We're going to put it down. Um, but every moment we can pick it back up matters. Um, and, and, and here are some tiny entry points to get at that presence um, that's needed to do some soul work. Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate that at the beginning of all this, one, you said this is rigorous work. And I think that that is super important that that some of this is hard. But I also appreciated that you said that as you were doing this, sometimes you got into facilitator mode and your tiny thing slipped. And there's so much grace in you saying that and so much mm. grace in you offering to people the fact that like, even you as the author of this book, strayed <laughs> from tiny things and it's okay, like that there are entry points back into it. And I think that's really powerful. Mm, thank you. Yeah, the what Heidi and I don't want is it for it to feel like a to-do list. Mm. Um, and that's why we say, you know, try something, try something on for a month, something will stick where like, if you do commit to it for some of these tiny things, I don't, I, I joyfully choose to do every day because every single time I do it, it works. Um, and so every time I do it, that, that day is better and I still have to choose it. And so some days I put it down, um, and that, I think that has something to do with not being the silver bullet, right? Like that this is not a like quick pace to perfection or happiness. But I think we're spiritual creatures who do want pra a practice, who do want something to do. And, um, and this is a way to find rootedness with our actions moment by moment, right? Uh, one day at a time. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. So what would you say, is it about this? And I think you've touched on this throughout this conversation, but what is it about 12 tiny things that makes it work? Okay. So I think it starts, I think the overwhelm is so real that it has to be tiny in terms of how much time it's going to take us for us to even try. So that works. Um, as I said before, we try to make it offensively tiny. So three conscious breaths was on purpose. Um, if you do three conscious breaths a day, I think most people will tend to take four or will tend to do three conscious breaths, maybe twice a day, and that will grow. And maybe it'll grow into a meditation practice. Maybe it won't, but we have to start small so that someone looks at it and be like, okay, I have enough time to do that. Yeah. <laughs> because that's <laughs> such an easy way just to skip it. I'm like, no, I'm too busy well we're not too busy for these things but I think it works because Heidi and I took enough time in our appendix and in the invitation and in the tiny thing that it does lead it does lead to a second thing um it is it is getting at its core it's simple to do but it matters um and it's it's easy to do, but the work is rigorous, right? So the, the actual tiny thing might be easy, but if you do it mindfully, things about your root system will come up in a really cool way. Um, and as I mentioned before, I think, I think we want something to do. I think we want a spiritual practice. Um, we're not willing to overhaul our life. So we want a practice that we can work into our life. So rootedness for life on the go. And deep down, I think we all 
believe this thing that we're human beings and that we're not consumers first and that we're not capitalists first. And that I think we, I think we believe deep down that we're enough and that we're beautiful, but we have to be reminded every single day. And so the book works because we say that over and over again, every single day, we are enough. Everything you have is already inside of you. Be still do this tiny thing. We'll see it tomorrow. (laughs) You know? And I think, I think that is, that is, refreshing and kind of goes to this daily living and dying and resurrecting um, that we believe in, in the Christian tradition of getting up and trying again. Um, So the no striving and to put down those messages that say you're unloved. um, I think that the tiny things are, are easy practices, but the message is so powerful. I think deep down, we want to be revolutionaries. We want to subvert the system. I think we know it's broken, but the system is so big. It's like, well, how do I, where's my entry point? And if you start in your own body, it's somehow counterintuitive to folks, but it's a great place to start because that's where you have control right? That's where you have power and jurisdiction. So I think about my young adults. I did not have a smartphone in like grade grade school, middle school, high school, right? But they do now. And so they're coming of age and figuring out who they are and kind of going through that wholly existential stage of being a teenager, being very well aware of all of the brokenness in the world every single day. And so in a way that I kind of knew where my playground was and where my jurisdiction is and what levers I could push. My young people are like, where do I even start? Like I'm a global citizen and I know things are really screwed up, but what can I do? Well, there's so much we can do. There's so much we can do. Um, But if you scroll through your phone first thing in the morning, you're not going to believe me. So we invite you to keep your phone downstairs, (laughs) wake up as a human being, in your playground, in your jurisdiction, in your house, in your family, in your neighborhood, but most importantly, in your body and start there. It's immediately life-changing. And I think it automatically invites other people in. Like, what do you got going on? What what is this joy that you have? Um, Oh, that email notification, that is awesome you know and it is super contagious so then we're doing it within our we've created our some boundaries around our community where we have we start to identify the levers we can push when we're feeling overwhelmed to get back in where we know that our life matters uh, and we know loving each other makes a difference Mm, that's powerful that's powerful Okay, before we wrap up and head into our, our rapid fire questions, I, I'm just, you've been weaving this throughout, but you know, I want to ask you this question of what does all of this have to do with our faith? So this is a Christian podcast. So I'm giving you full permission yes! to like <laughs> fully live into your, your Christian identity here. But what is the connection you see between practicing 12 tiny things and your faith? How would people of faith benefit from this work and this practice? Absolutely. Okay, so I think that when you are, start off, it has everything to do with my faith. This is a book that is steeped in my Christian values. Um, The 12 Tiny Things practice is not the extent of my spiritual practice, but I call it my micro spiritual practice. Um, I stated before, my young people want something to do. Every year we would do um, a unit where Muslim youth and Christian youth would have conversation with each other and Jewish youth and my Christian youth would have conversation with each other. And every year the youth would look at me and be like, I kind of wish we did more. (laughs) 
I kind of wish we, like they were a little bit jealous of these youth um, in other faith traditions who just had a little bit more ritual. Now the Christian church is steeped in it. Um, but for some reason, these young people don't feel like they have access to it or are a little bit, um, like I said before, skeptical. So this is a way of doing little things on purpose and and it raises it is everything is an invitation to be more awake to here and now this moment. And I think that has everything to do with our faith because God has given us this body, this life, and we're not supposed to miss it. So when we are fully present to what is the, the wonder that is all around us, one of the tiny things is to go outside and look all the way up. That means once a day, you're recognizing the vastness of the universe, the awesomeness of our creator, that you get to be alive in that creation, that you are a creature in this amazingly diverse web of life, and that you're alive and vital, and you have a body and a mind and a spirit. And isn't that amazing that all happened just by one tiny thing, looking up at the sky, seeing God's awesomeness, God's bigness. And then I feel a little small in a good way of like, God is God and I am not. It resituates myself in this amazing universe where I am me and I am powerful, but I don't have to be everything for everyone. And so it rightly situates myself in the universe and all of the tiny things by bringing back to your core, by bringing back to your center, that God knit in there, then when you're living from that place, I believe that's walking prayer. That's, that's giving thanks to God through my actions, through how I'm living my life on purpose. Life is not happening to me. I am co-creating with God using my gifts and talents that God gave me to be awake to my life and also be a legitimate lever pusher in the world that is broken and needs some structures to fall down and dissolve, right? So when we talk about folks being overwhelmed um, and paralyzed on the couch, we need those folks awake. You know, we need them to realize how amazing and beautiful and powerful they are, which the underside is that you don't have to be everyone. You just have to be you. And we need you at the table because some reconciliation needs to happen here, folks, right? So that can start happening inside of our own bodies. And then from there will emerge this power um, to be professional lovers in our community in a way that I believe is going to change things. To me, that has everything to do with our faith of being boundary crossers like Jesus was, you know, to cross societal boundaries that he wasn't supposed to cross, to dissolve them and make human made boundaries go away so that lo God's love can reign more freely. Um, that I, that's the part I get fired up about right now because it, we see the divisions and the walls and it's urgent work. Um, and if we don't start from our own body and our own core, we're going to get burnt out. So this is hopefully, a, that's why it's a side, it's a side book, right? To keep on your bookshelf while you're doing this other work to keep you going to find a sustainable life giving pace where you have email boundaries set up, right? So you're doing amazing work and you're not doing it seven days a week so that you can keep going and keep doing amazing work. Mm. 
I, <laughs> I'm like speechless. Like you just preach the sermon and like, I can just say amen and call it good. <laughs> it's just, it's so powerful. And I, I feel like as, as you were talking, it made me think of that, the quote that, you know, what the world needs is people who are alive. And I think that, that you through this practice are encouraging people to do that. You know, it, it makes me, you mentioned the looking up, like, I think I was a senior in college when I first looked up in our cafeteria, like walking in the food line. I looked up and I was like, whoa, I didn't notice there were all these beautiful skylights up here. And like, and that's a building, like it's totally different when you look outside and look up and just the sense of aliveness that comes with that. And, and I just, I believe you. I believe that this kind of stuff can change the world and can change us because we're the ones that change the world. It's like you told your young adults and your students, you know, you can do something and and it's it's in here and it ripples out. I think yes. that's really powerful. I do too. Thank you. Thank you. All right, my friend, are you ready for I'm rapid ready. fire? Okay. I'm ready for rapid fire. Okay. If you could untangle one piece of bad theology for everyone forever, what would it be? That your body is dirty. <sighs> Lie. Yes. Mm -hmm. What do you love about Jesus? I love that he was a professional boundary crosser in a way that subverted systematic oppression. I feel like we need a little bit more of that right now. Mm -hmm. Yes. <laughs> yes, we do. What is your favorite verse uh, or story in the Bible? Okay, this is a funny one, but my favorite is the healing of the blind man in Mark's gospel. I love that Jesus uses spit you know, that like his bodily fluids are saturated with healing power. And I love that it didn't work right away. And yes. there was kind of this back and forth. I mean, I just think that I have so much affection for that story of like, we don't have to be perfect because Jesus, you know, and the, the relational healing, the going back the second time and getting it and getting it right. <laughs> I, yes. just, I, I love that story. Yeah. <laughs> what do you see? I see trees. <laughs> they look like they're moving. <laughs> Not gonna lie, Jesus. I, I actually need you to try again. <laughs> yeah. I love it. I love it. All right. If you could ask God anything, what would you ask? Mm. Oh my gosh. What did it feel like to create the oceans? Mm. I love that. Yeah. It's just so vast and expansive and... Yeah. I'll leave it there. Yeah. Okay. Switching gears just a little bit. What is mm. your go-to comfort food right now? Hummus. I love hummus so much. And this is a recent thing that I made up a song that I sing when I'm eating it at lunch with my, with my littles and they just, <laughs> they just die laughing. It tastes so good to me. And I can feel like it feels so nourishing and fresh. Mm. It's my comfort food for sure right now. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Okay. What do you know for sure? <laughs> okay I pride myself on being open to mystery and that faith isn't about certainty but I'm going to answer your question um I am sure that part of my work is to integrate into my body more fully so I can contend with my whiteness mm. thank you for saying that that's what I feel like I'm being called to do in this lifetime uh, one of my favorites is Resma Menachem, and he talks about how elders, children are drawn to elders because they have fully integrated into their bodies and you don't become an elder just by getting older. You have to do the work and earn it. And I think whiteness is a barrier to that. And so I'm certain that that is part of my work as a human. Mm -hmm. Thank you. All right. Final question. What is filling your well? 
A hundred percent my children. They're four and six. They're the embodiment of joy and delight. Um, the world tells me that I'm supposed to earn money and these two make it crystal clear that my work is to love them. I'm good at loving them. They're good at loving me. Um, they are into ice skating and cave building and just reading and telling stories. They're so creative. Um, I feel like my children are actually raising me right now. Wow. That's beautiful. That's so beautiful. Ellie, thank you so much for this conversation. It was such a blessing to me. I feel like I'm, you know, walking out into the world feeling rejuvenated. And I know that others who listen will do the same with a smile on their face. So thank you for 12 Tiny Things um, for the work that you and your co-author did. I'm so grateful. Um, And thank you for sharing your, your light and your wisdom with us all. Thank you. I'm your biggest fan. I could talk to you all day long. <laughs> I feel like we're, can we be friends now? Are we friends? Yes, this, okay, great. friends. Of course we are. <laughs> yes. Thank you for the work you do in the world. This is so important and beautiful. Mm. Thank you so much. Thank you. My friend, thank you so much for joining us today. I am so grateful for you. Without you, this ministry would not be possible. So thank you from the bottom of my heart. The Lady Preacher podcast is part of a nonprofit called Dancing Pastor Ministries, and you can find us online at dancingpastor.org or join the community by finding us on Facebook at Dancing Pastor Ministries. If you would like to be a part of supporting this podcast, there are many ways you can do that without giving monetarily. You can share our posts on social media, send an episode to a friend, or just leave a review. If you would like to support us financially, you can do so at dancingpastor.org slash give. My friend, you are a gift. Thank you for being here and God bless.